Hello, and welcome to Bootlegged, a recurring segment on the Carton Cast where we watch and review animated movies. What's your name? My name is Zane. And I don't know who I am. <laughs> or what I look like. <laughs> <laughs> it's constantly shifting. Of course, my name is Ben, you are Zane, and we are the Carton Cast. And today, for our Bootlegged segment, we have chosen to watch A Scanner Darkly. Yes, um, a scanner darkly, and we're not like mispronouncing the syntax. It's like no, it, it's literally like <laughs> I'm reading it right now. We had one of those speaking spells out <laughs> just in case. We're like, hey, scanner darkly. I'm like, all right, GPS, calm down. Uh, but it is it is pronounced like that. And scanner darkly was made in 2006. It was distributed by Warner Independent Studios. And mm-hmm. uh, made by the companies Thousand Words and Section 8. Um, Section 8. That's yeah. Pretty funny. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, so this is, a, uh, this is a revival of a science fiction book by the timeless Philip K. Dick. Yes. Uh, or so I assume. Right. Well, we haven't was... gotten to timeless yet. <laughs> it was written, it, he wrote it in 1977, um, based on his own experiences with, uh, with drugs in the 70s, which really impacted his life and his writing. I mean, any any science fiction fan knows Philip K. Dick, even if they haven't read his stuff, because they've seen, you know, Blade Runner or, you know, to a lesser degree, Paycheck. Anything... Those are the two that I wrote down. <laughs> Those are the two that like, I've seen. I remember watching that. <laughs> I remember watching Paycheck before I knew what science fiction was. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I mean, they do. Those two represent the general thrust of his of his works, which is, yes, there's drug use and, you know, some... Uh, psychological malfeasance as the <laughs> as the as the show as the book goes on, but it's also the setting is like this contemporary, not so distant future sci-fi political dystopia, right? In, in a way that's very reminiscent of, um, you know, things like uh, something I can't think of. Shoot, Zane, help me out. Nineteen eighty four. Yeah, that's the, actually exactly the one I was thinking of. I yeah. actually wrote down Big, Big Brother over and over well, again. Well, here's the thing, thing: you know, this movie, and we'll get into it. This movie to me felt mm-hmm. like a, a mashup of Big Brother and Big Lebowski, with like the drug. Wow. Time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> think about it. Stew in that for a second. So yeah, that, man, this, but, there's there's a conspiracy there that uh, what's his face would go crazy over. <laughs> but in general, R-D- you know, R-D-D. Philip K. Dick is a is a giant in the science fiction genre for his psychological thrillers and his sort of existential philosophy. He he he's the Shyamalan of science fiction. Like he's got a ton of like twist endings and things at the end. Right, but he does it well. And oh, very well. He. And and he sells the emotion because he actually went through a lot. Like I think I read something like everything that he has made into, um, has made into one of his like vivid hallucination moments in the books was a thing he literally saw at one point in his Which life. Which is terrifying. It's terrifying and fantastic at the same time. But the um, um, the thing and, about and we're not going to go too far into his personal history because frankly it sure. has. Not much more to do with the movie other than he did lots of drugs. Yeah, but um, but the yeah. the I I just feel like it's important to mention him as like the progenitor of this crazy idea and saying like a Skinner Darkly is a very interesting expression of a sort of singular idea, but it's not uncommon for a Philip K. Dick thing where you watch it or you read it 
and not only do you say like what did I just watch or read? You say, why isn't everyone always talking about this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, th- th- this makes Fight Club look like fucking Smurfs. Yeah, you it's w- just you ridiculous. Wonder, you wonder why he's not a bigger part of our cultural lexicon. It's, I don't know. It's like, doesn't translate over well. Like, <laughs> you know, like, most people can't even really contextualize what they're seeing in this movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and, you know, I've got a lot of respect for him on the basis of this movie alone, uh, just because the, the, the content of his of his work is so relevant. Like, yes. It, it, it deals with not-so-distant future, which, when sci-fi does that, it, like, kind of can't go wrong. You know how... Uh, it's, a, when... it's a weird thing where, some <laughs> uh, like, a science fiction thing is set in the future, and you watch it while you're in that future? Yeah, it, it it's really uncomfortable, like... Oh, Big Brother is such a is such a problem that all the co- uh, that a uh, central government is taking all of our information. <laughs> you start yeah. to feel a little bit gross. I remember listening to a podcast where somebody was saying like, if you had told me when I was growing up in like the eighties that you know we would just accept that uh, you know the government was spying on us and nobody really cared that much, I would have said that we would have bombed ourselves first. Yeah, just kill yourself, like. <laughs> Yeah, if, if if it's harmless, so let's kill it, right? Yeah. Um yeah, and oh, man, I I just love the I you said it was a singular singular expression. That's not to say it only has one thrust. Like No. This, this is a multifaceted. And especially Scanner Darkly has a few different thrusts, one of which is, you know, this sort of uh centralized, overly powerful government distrust. Mm-hmm. Um it's coupled with sort of a uh uh, like like you said, psychological thriller, both in identity crises and also in profound drug use. Yes. And uh, I was looking into it. The uh, Philip K. Dick's daughters were actually worried that this was going to be animated because they thought it would trivialize the drugs are bad message. Ooh. Yeah. But, uh, like, if, if you want to, like, bleed into animation a little bit about how this is animated. It's, yeah. It's very... Uh, <laughs> It, it's pretty novel, like, not for the time, but, like, you don't see it a lot. Right. So, and it feels like we're jumping around a, li- a little bit, but it's fine because this movie kind of hits you all at yeah. once and then feeds if you, you if a little bit If you're not enjoying what we're giving to you so far, just skip to the next episode. So, like... You're not going to like the rest of this. Synopsis. So, the, the movie was made using a technique called interpolated rotoscoping. So, here's here's basically what it cracks down to. First, you shoot your live-action movie. <laughs> cracks down to whatever first <laughs> first you shoot your live action movie which in this case took 23 days in some like really backward town like yeah in the, like in the middle of nowhere hmm. then you trace over some of the frames and then finally a computer fills in some of the frames in between so the final product looks very realistic and fluid but also anim- like it's an uncanny valley sort of way Oh, totally. I don't know if yeah. you. I don't know if you paid attention to their mouths. They kind of have this fleshy look, like it's slightly more real than everything else. Uh, I didn't, but that makes a degree of sense to me because that's what's moving, and it probably can't be interpolated as much, like without reason, looking really crappy. The reason that I noticed the mouths is like I didn't realize how much it helps to see somebody's mouth moving to understand their dialogue because they mumble a lot, they speak a little <laughs> softly, like. It mm-hmm. it was harder for me to understand, and I think it's because I didn't have that visual tying me, tying me down. Right, and and the the visual that this 
movie is kind of working with the whole rotoscoping thing uh, it's it's not it's trying deliberately not to tie you down not to give you an anchor because you're going to be experiencing so much of a goddamn mindfuck through most of this <laughs> yes. and it would be unfair for your brain to feel it and not your senses right so and um, it's just it's building toward a cohesive what the hell am i watching hole um which <laughs> i think is what link ladder was going for yes. link later uh link later uh, so this was directed by richard Linklater, who also directed uh dazed and confused school yeah. of rock and uh the recent success boyhood there's which... also a trilogy a romance trilogy <laughs> like he's got a weird spectrum like he, yeah he's got quite a range mm-hmm um it's, it's... It's very interesting. But he when he when he filmed this, so like I said, the live action took twenty three days. Animating it using the rotoscope method took eighteen months. Jeez. Um I, I mean time well spent. Like I agree. it looks really really uh on a, a disarming. <laughs> um did you did you on the whole enjoy the movie? Because I remember you said you didn't want it to be like a grand slam kind of movie. Um, uh-huh. I would say that this movie is still like really good, but it's also not like as happy as some of the other stuff we've done. It's really good for the right audience, yes. And the the right audience will know <laughs> we, right away if they we are, the, are right the right audience. The two of us are the right audience, so yeah. we re- found it really good. I could also see like uh, I hesitate to say, you know, a uh, a civilian, you know, a mundane moviegoer enjoying this, like the average moviegoer might not enjoy this. Right. And there are some things, some problems I have with it, but, you know, I'm going to latch onto a message so strongly that the rest of it doesn't really matter in comparison. And it had a strong message, and it it portrayed it in an interesting way. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty behind this movie. Um, the name of the film actually comes from a Bible passage. Uh, yeah, it says, through a glass darkly, right? Yes. For now we see something. <laughs> for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. Look at that. Look at that. It was like mostly prepositions. <laughs> but then face to face, now I know. <laughs> Therefore, bewitch, um, untween. What like, it, I don't what, how did they talk back then? What it basically meant to me is like if you block your eyes or shade away the truth, you can't see the whole picture. And if you can't see the whole picture, you cannot know who you are. Something like that. I wouldn't put it a one-to-one <laughs> ratio like that. I think the way they monologue soliloquy it in the movie is kind of the big thrust of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't speak to how the Bible thought of it. Um, <laughs> we're not I'm, biblical scholars. We're not biblical scholars. At least, you know, amateur, I'd say. You sure. know? Um, like, Job was a mighty cool dude. That's how I read he, it. He totally didn't sleep with his mother. Your Ben's Bible knowledge. You're mixing things up. <laughs> no, was that Oedipus? Um, yeah, so, so that's, that's the general production of um, A Scanner Darkly. I want to say one more thing yeah. about Philip K. Dick, because I didn't have another place to put this, but this needs to be said. He, at one point, befriended a poet, a poet named Jack Spicer, <laughs> I'm not kidding, who gave him ideas for a Martian language. You must be kidding. <laughs> nope. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you continue, as you were. I just right. needed to make sure that was known. So I just want to say a few things about the general um, structure and pacing of the movie before we get into the actual characters and plot. Yeah, and we're going to run through the characters pretty quick, because yeah. the plot will pretty much explain them. So if you're waiting characters... for us to talk about the plot, five minutes. <laughs> and the characters are largely not there. 
Yeah. Um, well So, like, like I said, this is like... So the first 30 minutes and the last 20 minutes have a lot of exposition and some mind screws. And mm. the middle 50 are just kind of hanging out. Like, this this movie is half stoner comedy and half <laughs> Twilight Zone episode directed by David Lynch. Yeah, that's not a bad, uh, that's not a bad way of describing it. it. And, you know, that's one of the bigger issues I have with the movie. Yeah. I, I get what they're going for with it, and I'll describe it when we get there. But it certainly doesn't feel cohesive at times because there's this dual nature to drug use versus drug abuse. And, it, and it'll, it'll come out, and you'll know exactly when it comes out because there's this really twangy idiot music that comes <laughs> along with it. Um, so, uh, yeah, you'll, th- you'll see what we're talking about. I thought it played, like, the up parts of de- of drug use as well as, like, the down just to, like, counterbalance it. But mm-hmm. it also felt like they were watering down the message to appeal to a broader audience. That could be so. I, I don't know about that. Like, this isn't really this, like, uh, and this is baseless entirely. But <laughs> if you watch, like, the first five minutes of this movie and you are not its target audience, you're not going to stay around for, you know, Grandma's Boy. You're not going to stay around, like, after the first minute if you yeah. don't, if you're not into this. Or have a fear of aphids. Yeah. Well, like, you know how sometimes I like to start off an episode by asking you, like, did you like this show? Did you like this movie? I felt no. the need at the beginning of this to ask you, did you understand this movie? Like, did this movie uh, make sense to you? Yeah, and that's the other thing. Pardon our, like, limited brain power because this plot is not a thing i can describe really like there's too many like working pieces and unreliable narrator pileups and i I honestly just kind of got confused trying to make sense of it like generally when i'm watching a movie for bootlegged i stop every so often to take notes write down my thoughts say i'm going to come back to this and think about it i had to stop like every 10 seconds i had to i had to stop to take notes and then i took you know little luxury breaks just to stop to kind of like piece things together i wasn't even writing anything down i'm like okay so he's on this side but they're they're against them and the drug lords are coming after the police and the police are in bed with them. <laughs> what the hell is going on like i feel like watching it again would make it make more sense but at the same time i don't want to watch it again because i know what's coming and it would depress me yeah it's pretty depressing as well like <clears throat> yeah the there's there's nothing else we can say like to yeah. lead into this movie other than what we've already said and just like furthermore go watch it because it is really good and it's like it's, you said a singular expression. It's definitely worth watching if you're of a certain age. Honestly, if if only for the whole rotoscoping animation thing, it's pretty impressive. Uh, I think Linklater said that he had gone the animation route because he felt there was a little very little animation targeted for adults which we can we're you know we're experts in this field of course there is uh specifically targeted for adults anyway um also robert downey jr is beautiful pretty pretty incredible in this movie he's very good performance the only actual character who's not just a blank slate he just yeah no like they just i don't even know if he had a name in the movie i think they just like let him in and said, hey, <laughs> i'm talk here for a while i'm here you, you remember how in grandma's boy that one guy uh the, the drug dealer mm-hmm. um i don't remember what his name was but uh it was like rico or something like that i don't remember but uh, essentially and this is like this is totally true if i have my trivia right uh they didn't actually give him a script 
They just told him to show up and like <laughs> react to whatever was going on. Is he in the that guy? Scene. Is he the guy that said that he was too baked to drive to the devil's house? Yes, he is. <laughs> I'm way too baked to drive to the devil's house. Let's talk about the characters. Yes. Um, so our main character is <clears throat> Keanu Bob, Reeves. Bob. Yes, Keanu Reeves playing Bob Arctor. Playing Keanu Reeves. It's, sure. He's got one setting. I mean, he's mostly playing himself. I thought, mo- like, even both sides of him are both Keanu Reeves in a way. I, I thought that the animation kind of opened him up a bit. Ew. <laughs> um, Continue. The, the character, basically, we we kind of track his mental degradation. degradation. Yeah. Boom. High five. Um, he he might have a split personality, but in general, like he sees things other than the way they are in a phenomenon that's that they call a uh, cross chatter. Yeah, and they define that in the movie. Was that an actual thing? Like, if it is, it doesn't work anything like the way they say yeah, it does. Yeah, they seem like a massive just like oversimplification. I'll, I'll call it out when we get to it. It's real egregious. Like five yeah, it's, minutes it's on bad. Google, egregious. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah. And Speaking as someone who has studied the brain for years, like... Sure. <laughs> uh, Drugs so, do a lot, but they don't do that. Oh, well, Substance D might... See, that's <laughs> yeah. what I love about these sci-fi, like, future futurescape sort of things, like 10 minutes into the future sort of uh, settings, is if you're right, you're a prophet, and if you're wrong, you've made some badass historical fiction. <laughs> like retcon like yeah, abraham no, exactly. lincoln like like um abraham lincoln vampire hunter but like Al- alternate predictive. universe fiction yeah or alternate history it's it's totally yeah. a category of thing um and substance d is kind of standing in for all drugs because it has different effects yeah just drugs bad if <laughs> drugs are bad um and we'll get into that when we talk about the plot yes. because it's like one of the first things but um to so, talk more about the characters uh keanu reeves who plays the who plays the role of bob you said that he's, you know, got this mental dissociativity. Um, split personality, I think, is a little bit more accurate than schizophrenia in this mm-hmm. case. Yep. Although probably both of them apply to some extent. And he's the narrator, essentially, for the movie. So <laughs> and your that... narrator is somebody who you who does not trust his own perception. Yeah. And this um, is this is a common theme in most Philip K. Dick works, is that, <laughs> like, something... You can't trust the narrator, and you can't really trust that the narrator is even who they say they are. Yeah, <laughs> especially when everything's rotoscoped to hell and back. Oh yeah, like, that just adds to the whole the whole thing. But his his whole story is sort of his battle with uh, with his addiction while he's trying to figure out uh, how to how to proceed through um, the very as- various aspects of his life that are kind of all falling to shit at the same time. Right and. Yeah, uh, we, we'll have to talk about him when we talk about the plot, but that's kind of enough for his character. Yeah. Um, the other, I guess, main character would be James Barris, played by Robert Downey Jr. <gasps> yeah, and the D in Ro- in RDJ <laughs> apparently stands for Dale from King of the Hill. <laughs> because he, he, that he's is like perfect, the craziest yeah. conspiracy nut, he's pseudo like uh pseudo intellectual you can you've ever met like he's incredibly paranoid he's somewhere on the libertarian spectrum like he has a just he's somewhere on some spectrum he's got a completely pessimistic view of the world and he just talks himself up so much you gotta wonder if like he actually believes it uh, he might just be a pathological liar um it's a good he's a good one like his ca- remember- his cadence is really charming 
Yeah, well, I mean, RDJ, but did you, uh, did you ever happen to see Half-Baked? I don't think so. So there's this, like, diatribe that, uh, Dave Chappelle talks about in, in one of the aspects of the movie, which is all the people he deals weed to. He's like, you know, you got several different kinds of people who smoke weed, <laughs> uh, and one of them's like the, wouldn't this be better if we had it on weed sort of guy? And he just, like, you know, talks to him, and he's like, have you ever tried to play golf on weed? <laughs> and then there's, like, another guy who's, like, the pseudo-intellectual weed smith. That's, that's, that's basically who you're dealing with, Barris. Sure. Yeah, he talks very quickly. He crams long words into his sentences. Like, it's hard to tell what he's saying, but you like <laughs> the way he says it. Oh, yeah. Every time he showed up, I was excited. Mm-hmm. Although um, it was, like, <laughs> he didn't really look like him. Who, RDJ? Yeah. Sure he did. Something about him felt off, even given the animation. Uh, I mean, there certainly was. It was just, I mean, everyone was off, but he was a louder off. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's kind maybe it's of just because like he was moving so fast. This is an interesting casting decision as well because <laughs> yeah. if you guys remember, like Robert Downey Jr. had just gotten off of Smack when he got cast for this movie. Yeah, so this like, this okay, was part of his therapy. I was it really? No, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it was. I'm gonna say it was done Go on the record. It happened. Yeah, and uh, so that must have been really whimsical for him. It's just like so. Wait, wait, wait. I beat drugs. And I'm now in a movie in which I play a drug addict. All right. right. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> you got it, Linklater. <laughs> Whatever you say, drug lord. And uh, uh, the next character is uh, Woody Harrelson, whose name escapes me. Like, I forgot the names of most of these assholes. Uh, Luckman. Yeah, that never got spoken, did it? They refer to him as Luckman, um, but he's barely there. Like his, he's, he's Kelso. His drug use has removed his ability to think independently he just follows everybody and freaks out if they don't know what to do he he he's just kelso yeah the, i'm willing to say <laughs> each of these people represents a different way that people can react poorly to drugs like i was saying with half-baked with the different kinds of weed people yeah um yeah he's he's just the one that kind of completely uh abdicates responsibility to his own thoughts yeah he, he doesn't want his own thoughts they're getting in the way getting in the way of smoking um Um, and that brings us to freck yeah freck all right who Uh, who the fuck was freck he's played by rory cochran i don't know him not me neither um he's the the stereotypical anxious druggie yeah he's he he thinks bugs are crawling on him oh yeah like in the very first scene he he shows up to show us that drug users freak out yes in case we ever forget that's what he's there for and then he at one point just does that one more time and then leaves the movie. Yeah. And no one no one says a thing. <laughs> and uh and the last character is Donna, who uh is played by Winona Ryder. The and, Doctor Donna. And she is the drug dealer. And there's this like weird like oh I'm watching you. No, I'm watching you kinda of, like <laughs> I don't, I didn't have oh, a clue what like okay, so she's somehow rela- like this is what I got watching the movie before I both found out about the ending, and looked all over the place to figure out what the hell was going on. Yeah, She's somehow related to this drug use. Like, it's basically a big house owned by Bob, but uh, everybody lives there. Yes. And she's somehow affiliated with Bob that it might be sexual and might not be sexual. And they somehow have a business relationship revolving around Substance D as well. But yeah. the details completely escape me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the romance between them is interesting because, like... You know, like maybe, you know, maybe you should leave that one. 
let's leave that one. Let's leave that for a bit, yeah. Yeah, because that gets real weird. Um, but that's basically all the characters. Everybody else is just sort of there to facilitate the plot. Uh, mm-hmm. But that that's our lens into this plot is all about the different perceptions with which these characters experience the plot. Right. And they're... The most interesting one is, of course, Bob's, you know, Keanu Reeves' character. But they they all kind of shed some light into different facets of a a druggy mindset. And that's, you know, I think that was one of the thrusts that Dick was trying to say. Because at the end, he's got that eulogy section. Right. So let's get into the plot. (sighs) Yep, okay. Let's... Gonna, I'm gonna take a bite of a bad muffin. Yeah, just yeah. scratch the bugs crawling all over your skin. I'm actually like super sweaty right now. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it is. So I'm wondering if that's like influenced behavior. Uh, all right. So we start, start us with up. a blast of animation as bugs. No, 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 no. What's the setting? What setting are we in? We're in some like awful. Not quite hotel room, like it's just like some dingy. No, I don't mean the scene. Place. I mean like where, where are are we in America? What's the what's the setting? <laughs> sure, like like you said, we're in the near future. Uh, everybody's mm-hmm. on the drugs. Yeah, this is like it's the a big worst problem. drug war ever, and it it's uh it. There's these two sides to this conflict that get brought up pretty quickly, to the point at which I kind of just want to introduce them now. Okay. And it's basically, uh, these, they're in the midst of this, the biggest drug war ever, where, like, 20% of, like, the population is addicted or something? Well, that came out of Barris's mouth. Oh, sure, yeah. (laughs) Like, statistics don't mean anything out of his mouth. So, and, and this is, like, an extremely debilitating drug, um, so, you know, really playing up the whole romanticism of the drug thing they're really just hitting the extreme on it mm-hmm. um and then they also hit the extreme on totalitarian government to try to crack down on drugs like remember the vietnam war uh-huh. and how the government was all like hey remember drugs are bad let's focus on that for a while yeah it seems like that's happening but way bigger <laughs> um and uh yeah so that's kind of like the setup for it for the plot and I, I just felt the need to kind of say that before we actually talk about stuff because that is going to be a doozy getting through it and it, it might be helpful to just like lay down things we absolutely know the only thing we absolutely know in this movie is that there is a drug called substance d it's yes. bad for you um and i i like the combination of everyone's addicted and also big brothers happening because yeah. you have this very it's upsetting when you see real life stuff happening in uh, an environment which is supposed to be very distinct from our own, because it just it it shows you how oh, similar we're things watch can high be. High schoolers trying to screw. Yeah, what happened to dazed and confused. Um, yeah. So let's let's begin on the actual beginning of the movie. Yeah, go ahead. So, I cut you off. You have right. the first. You have the first. Uh, your consider one Charles Freck. <laughs> Um, okay, so, fine. so Freck I is, deserved it. Uh, Freck's got a lot of bugs crawling all over him. Freck's got a lot of problems in general. <laughs> Freck's got 99 problems. They're all cockroaches. They're all aphids. <laughs> um, yeah. So he's just, like, covered in them, which is, like, 
a common like drug addict problem. Like they feel like they're fucked everywhere. Mm-hmm. And like you know, he's showering, he's clawing at them. They keep coming back. Um, and so he calls his friend uh, James Barris, uh, who's gonna help him out with them. And he's like, you know, put the put the bugs in a jar. I'll check them out. And then you know, he puts them in. And then later he's like, oh, where'd they go? And it's like they're not real, dude. I, uh, I want to point out that this isn't kind of like a scary sort of train spotting moment where, like, he thinks bugs are on him and he's going through withdrawal. Like, there's this, like, kind of lilting drug druggy music going on, like, kind of <laughs> grunge with some yeah. twang to it. And, you know, it it's punctuated like a comedic scene. Like, he, he sees the do- the bugs coming out of his dog in Torrance and he gets in the shower and washes his dog at himself at the same time and he's just freaking out. Yes. We, it's played for comedy here. It's clear that although this is a drug addict character, we're not really supposed to sympathize with him. No, no. He's, he's yeah, he, he's not the focus. <laughs> but um, uh, it does open with drugs are funny. Yeah. Uh, but then pretty quickly cuts to a speech about the drug epidemic, which... Like I'm glad they didn't open on this, but it seemed like they switched to it really quickly. Yeah, I'm I'm glad they didn't open on it as well, but um, I'm glad they didn't hold off on it for too long. Yeah, and so uh, there's this guy in a suit, and he's basically setting up the plot, which is, hey, everybody's on uh, substance D. Um, there's this new uh, organization called New Path, which yeah, is this rehab facility. Yeah, it's trying to do rehab. Um, so they're like setting up all the plot elements early on to knock them down later, which I would have liked if they weren't so goddamn confusing. Um, I couldn't keep track of who was what. I didn't even know what kind of company they were in at the moment. Yeah, is this the drug enforcement? Like, is this the police? That it he's looked like to? <laughs> it looked almost like a Masonic lodge. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone. Men's club. Uh, and that uh, concludes for today. Remember uh, to support the bake sale. <laughs> Remember to support the bake sale. If you see a moose and he's hopped up on Colt forty five, you just um, just just walk the other way. So they show you this uh, flower that like is used to produce substance D, mm-hmm. and um, I don't remember clearly what, a reference to opium. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember what it was called in the movie. In the book, I looked up. It's called Mors Ontologica, which means the death of existence in Latin, <laughs> uh, which is really fitting. And That's a little too cute, I think. It's a little perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Um, and so he he says, like, now please listen to this testimony from this undercover cop. His identity is being protected by a scramble suit. Yeah, you, you, you want to talk sc- about it? Let me talk about the scramble suit. So the idea behind a scramble suit is that anybody who's in a scramble suit is with, kind of without an identity that can be... Um, that can be tracked or ID'd or anything like that. So the idea that Big Brother is watching does not apply to this group, New New Path, right? Mm-hmm. They have some sort of deal with the government, and it's allowing them to escape sort of a, sort of um, uh, identification and surveillance. But See, I, because I... there's because there's like um, because some of what New Path does is. Uh, Wait, I'm getting my wires crossed already. Because <laughs> I think, I don't think this is the new path, like, I don't oh, think no, that's the, what this is. It's the it's the police. It's the police who have the scramble suits. And you're, you're super right. Yeah, so um, the police, 
the sort of whole police aren't being held accountable to their actions things, which is also, yeah. like, really, like, relevant. Well, the thing is that the police are, yeah, the, the police are, like, running a lot of covert operations. And I looked up on this. Uh, the reason that they have scramble suits is so that their identity is hid not from everyone else, but from each other. Yeah. Such that if one of them starts empathizing with, like, a drug head or something like that and decides to sell his, like, co-workers out... He can't do so because he doesn't know their identities. Yeah. So it's sort of security of uh, of the organization from itself, yeah. which is really cool idea. But the cooler part is what the <laughs> fuck the scramble suit is. It's different parts of their of the body morph into like different parts of other people, and they all also... you describe that super bad. Sorry, you try. <laughs> <laughs> so what a scramble suit does is. Um, imagine that you're kind of like on an MMORPG and you can kind of customize your character, <laughs> you know, give them this head, give them these arms, and you're like switching from different arms. It's like bear's arms, dolphin's arms, whatever. No, you're right. You're explaining this way better. <laughs> no, you're joking, but that's totally a better way to say it. No, no, I, I wasn't joking. <laughs> oh, okay. And um, it's basically that. But it's not just arms, it's like every square inch of their body. So you might get like, or, you know, every few square inches of their body. So you might get like half a face is from like this blonde Argentinian. And then the other half of the face is this, uh, is, is this black guy with a mustache. And like, then the neck is from like this blonde who's had, who's, you know, has a mole on her neck and et cetera, et cetera, all the way down the body. And it changes every fraction of a second. Yeah. It's so, I, it, I don't understand how they did this. Here's what makes it even crazier. The different parts vary in how realistic they look. The um, Oh, that is... The interpolated... Like they, some of them are just mimeographs from Tom Goes to the Mayor. <laughs> well, the, the, the way that the interpolated rotoscope is, you can trace the like live action thing, but you can take out certain details, and like they just do it selectively. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's it's perhaps the most jarring when you see it in their faces. Yeah, it's like the the faces are pretty strange. Yeah, like there's so much detail in a human face. Like we're evolved to see so much detail. Like even if you remove the same amount of detail from a face as like you do from a car, we handle the car much better because we're used to seeing cartoon cars. Sure. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, and more to the point, we're not used to seeing. Uh, somebody who looks like our favorite actors and stars, but not quite our favorite actors and stars. <laughs> right. So that's um, that's pretty weird as well. But th- this scramble suit is so is so fucking amazing to look at. Yeah. And you know, of course, there's infinite amount of uh, there's there's an infinite amount of uh, resonance with the whole identity crisis theme. Oh yeah. So uh, everyone go look up if you don't ever see this movie. <laughs> look at the look at any of the scramble suit segments. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, and uh, so Bob is giving this sort of like hard sell to everybody. He's like, "Hey guys, yeah. I work with, I work, uh, I'm uh, working undercover. We're gonna get these these drug user bastards." And uh, and then he trails off and starts getting really depressing. Yeah, like he's he's being told to like stay on script, blame the corporate greed, and mm-hmm. he starts he starts talking about like what the drug does and like the mind of the addict and he throws blame everywhere and he just kind of sits back down well he he basically just walks away <laughs> yeah like i don't think he even sits back down i think he just walks out i think yeah, he ends right. the scene with like and you know 
whatever. Like, you know, substance <laughs> D is degradation, substance D is death, whatever. And then he just leaves. And leaves an entire Masonic lodge with their, you know, silly little hats and talking about, uh, you know, that, that, that moose that they got with a rifle way yeah. back when. And they're all just, like, dumbfounded, and it's it's a great opener. It's a little hard to tell where his mind's at at the beginning, and it make, it gets a lot easier as time goes on, and you see him, like, you can average out his actions and figure at out who he is. Point, at this point, it looks like, not. hey, the drugs have gotten to him. Yeah, absolutely. Because his assignment is to be undercover, so he has to take the drugs. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense. Um, uh, and even yeah. though he is Bob, he goes by the code codename uh, Fred. Yeah, they all have code names in their undercover thing, which I kind of wondered for a second. Like, how do they know which one is Fred? They're all just I, random body parts. I was like, wondering that around. as well. I yeah, like they must. Something. Do they have like DBZ scouters implanted in their minds or something? Like, there must be like an interface on the inside of the suit that say, "Hey, this is uh, this is account number one zero one nine two eight, and that yeah, it's Fred." Because they also have. Like um... They also have, like, voice scramblers. It's subtle, but, um, like, their yeah, voices kinda, change from it. They talk in, like, half male, half female, mm-hmm. uh, or actually kind of just random. Like, sometimes you always get sort of a modulated thing, but it's never decidedly female or male. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, we bounce back to look at Freck. Like it's weird how much airtime Freck gets early on in this movie. <laughs> I mean, he's just yeah, he's he's setting up like he's the easiest one to kind of introduce us to everyone because there's like no there's there's like no risk. <laughs> there's no yeah. risk of like misrepresenting him because he's just one note. <laughs> um, so we get this really neat scene where he he like he thinks he's gonna get pulled over by a cop. And we get this oh yeah little dream that's not Freck. Scene. That's a no, that's Freck. Oh yeah, that is Freck, isn't it? Um, so Freck, like, he, we get this dream sequence, you see, like, little thought bubbles, and you see him, like, getting taken out, and the cop's like, listen, you got the right to whatever, and he just shoots him, like. Yeah, like, he just kind of, like, forgets the, the, the Miranda rights, and just... Well, because it's an extension of Freck, and Freck can't even, like, string his own thoughts together. Yeah, he's, like, he, like, he's a stereotypical druggy paranoid, right? And this is... This is one type of scene in this movie that keeps popping up where it's a short scene where something happens that could really only happen to somebody who's on drugs Mm -hmm. or just general slacker, stoner type of person. But it doesn't really advance the plot at all. No, (laughs) and it doesn't involve drowning you in the medium. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because it doesn't involve Bob and it doesn't really advance anything. It's just, I don't know. here's Here's a hint to watching this movie. Don't worry about paying too much attention when Bob's not there. (laughs) That's your downtime. That's your time to recover. It is two different movies. And watch stoner comedies. Right. Um, Yeah, but he he eventually makes it to the diner, and uh, the guy he's talking to, um, Barris, that's right, he initially seemed to me like he might be Freck's therapist, but a really bad one until, (laughs) like, and you 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 gradually catch on over a couple of scenes that he's just entirely bullshitting everyone. Yeah, entirely self-absorbed. But he's 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 more functional than everyone else. Uh-huh. And he's a better liar about it, but that only works for so long. Yeah. And he says this really poignant line about uh, you know, yeah, um, when when the when the guy is like, you know, what are my options? And 
uh, Barris is like, well, there, there's two kinds of people. Either you're on Substance D or you haven't tried it yet. Yeah. That's... Which is... That is so final. Yeah, it's like... But... Makes it really high stakes. And and we see later in the movie just how this is final. Um, how super true that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like... Because cause the, the context is Freck is saying, like, well, maybe I should go to New Path, you know, the re- new rehab center. And James is like, nah, man, it's a setup. It's a con game. They can't help you anyway. Like, you're Yeah, either, and then he, like, he, like admires them. For yeah. Their... And this is the part where he seems like Dale Gribble. Because he's like, you know, they're just, they're, they're, he, he's, like, talking about this, like, conspiracy. <laughs> he, he's like, you know, I, I applaud any kind of evil that can market this sort of good-natured uh, non, non-profit uh, shill bullshit uh to people and give it away for free to turn a profit or something like that <laughs> and it's just like oh i get it he's 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 one of those guys and yeah. then they fast forward to him trying to produce crack cocaine in his freezer with a bag <laughs> and like a like three dollars worth of materials from a grocery store and you're just like okay so this guy That's is it. not reliable <laughs> this guy is just another freck but in a different way yeah and he says like yeah you know you can use the cocaine from this to get some sexual favors from uh from donna uh who who bob had called and like tried to set up a deal Mm -hmm. and freck's like "Eh, i don't know bob seems like a good guy and it was at that point (laughs) when freck referred to bob that i realized that they were not the same character freck and bob yes Yeah, I thought that Freck was Keanu Reeves at first. They look a little bit similar. They do. I was like, man, Keanu's really breaking out of his shell today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In a way, he's always in his shell because he's always in that uh, scramble suit. Mm. But, But... uh, yeah, yeah. uh, (laughs) That's wild. But once you catch on, like, you don't really look for faces so much as you look for expressions. Yeah. So, you know, Barris is pretty easy to spot. Uh, he's usually like wearing some away. weird hat. He he's usually like jittering, but uh, jittering yet calm, and just talking <laughs> just way too fast. Subtly vibrating, subtly vibrating. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. So, uh, man, like, all right, time to clear the head. What's our next scene? So, <laughs> and it um, seems like we're not putting any sort of like we're not like directing <laughs> this isn't you cohesive this is this is what the movie does it isn't a cohesive movie and that's right. sort of the point we're gonna do our best to lead you through the plot we're gonna, it's not easy we're gonna describe a couple scenes where you're like why did they mention that and we mentioned it because like it took up five it, minutes it of the happened. movie it <laughs> happened it served something like a plot point we're mentioning all the early ones because they're introducing us to the characters and the surroundings yeah we're gonna skip some stuff later on yeah also um, i'm probably gonna edit some of the important stuff out just you're gonna, just, you're gonna, just, <laughs> just fucking cuz. <laughs> just edit the important stuff out. Yeah, like why we, not? we we edit this to make it seem like it was a really good like buddy comedy. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it'll be like a hot fuzz or something. It's like, yeah, cops, drug, weed. <laughs> um. So the next scene, they are, uh, Bob is at the police station talking to his boss Hank, and they're both wearing scramble suits. Oh my god, it's. Uh, I love it when he talks to Hank because you don't have a clue what's going on or if one of them's playing the other one or if yeah. bob's just imagining it it's pretty crazy um, so bob talks about like he buys from donna in order to meet her supplier mm-hmm. um he and we reveal- learn that bob is sort of like the the informant behavior that he has mm-hmm. the undercover behavior that he has is he his mark sort of is uh 
is, is this entire household of users. You yeah, know, the entire cast up to this point. Yeah, exactly, all of them. And it, yeah. I does it, it is it here that they say basically we want you to find Bob Arctor. Yes. So they say, um, you know, Hank thinks he'll get good leads by watching Bob Arctor, uh, and so he gets put in charge of staking himself out <laughs> with video surveillance. And, um, uh, like, and the and the, the cool again, thing this is, is Hank realizes everyone knows. Fred has got to be one of those guys. Yeah. (laughs) They both realize it. And Hank is just very matter-of-factly like, listen, you're going to have to make sure that you yourself at times are not, are, don't cut yourself out of every scene. Make sure you're in some of them because then it will stick out like a sore thumb. Oh, the only person here who's not being, who's not being monitored is our guy. And because they're they're wearing the scramble suits, they have to keep this identity shit. As, this is so hard to keep track of. It gets worse. Who later. knows what? Who's allowed to know what? It gets worse later when you realize, like, no, this is the easier X, Y, part. and Z. Um, yeah, this is one of the kind of plot points that I think would make sense more on a second watching. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I didn't have a clue what was going on. I wrote down so many questions that I've just gone past because I have them answered now. Yeah. Uh, cut to random scene where Jim Barris comes home with a new bike. You know, like, it's just a stoner, stoner conversation. This is, they just jump into, they just dump into Grandma's boy for a second. I, I really like this, like, the humor, though. He's like, it's an 18-speed bike. See, there's there's six gears here and three there. And they're like, no, it's a nine-speed. That, that makes nine, dude. <laughs> and they all, and like, one of them's like, no, dude, out. that's eight, because they can't see one of them. And he's like, where'd the other gear go? And they all like freak Luckman out. is Luckman is like we have to we have to save the orphan gear and Robert Downey Jr. is just yeah, that's just what they want you to think <laughs> like, they're gonna sell me the gears now it's incredibly genius like this is how I imagine conversations with heavy stoners <laughs> <laughs> no it, like that's what you want the conversations to yeah be like. conversations with actual stoners are like not this interesting. Fewer of the dots are connected, and they're usually much lazier. I just, I just love that they found time for this scene in this movie. I love it too, but it, I don't know if it belongs here. <laughs> Every time they do a scene like this, which, by the way, get ready for that stringy, grungy music that's a little offbeat and of indeterminate like measure. <laughs> it, yeah, it's like the... Uh, you always know when one of these scenes is happening. And abstract bulk and skull. <laughs> I, I don't know what it... I don't there's a cost benefit analysis that needs to be paid to this <laughs> these kinds of scenes cuz they over they add to the overall like fun factor of the movie which there's different kinds of fun to be had here one of them serious this one is not and I'm okay with that but it, it also gives you this point of like oh you know drugs do something for people like it might not be a thing that society likes but these guys are really enjoying themselves. It's something to life that you wouldn't get normally. Yeah. There's something here. Mm-hmm. But th- if you think about it too hard, you're like, this is really trivializing the fact <laughs> that drugs are bad. So it's it's a very fine line that you have to walk. And I wonder yeah. I wonder if this movie would have been better off without it, the scene in it. I mean, or I any think of these scenes. I, I, it reminded me a bit of uh, Breaking Bad, where, mm. you know, they... they play up the drugs and like what the drugs do to people oh yeah but well, they, they also deal with politics and breaking Bad. yeah they, they also deal with like the politics of like drug stuff and sometimes there are some really funny scenes that are made funnier because they're in this context 
So another cool thing is that it's all about uh, Bob flipping between these two personas, one mm-hmm. of which is like kind of the the user persona and one of which is the drug enforcement persona. Mm-hmm. And it sort of mirrors this dual nature, this dual lens through which we're seeing drug use. And the next scene um, is where it starts to blur those lines because until now... Starts to. Well, until now, Bob... As a as an informant has been in the scramble suit, and mm-hmm. as the user he's not. Now he goes to the like psychologists uh, at his office, and he's not wearing the suit, but they like know him as Fred. Um, yeah, I I, I kind of just chalked it up to these are the only guys who you have that trust of. Yeah, and um, and I guess it's because like the idea is that you're protecting your fellow cops from being sold out to the drug you the like the drug. Yeah, but nobody lords nobody talks no to the scientists. The scientists. Yeah, no. exactly. So they um, get to know, and they say like you know a lot of undercover agents have been found going to clinics lately. So we just want to tell you about the dangers of substance D, um, and they say that people who use D suffer a separation between the left and right hemispheres of their brain so that they remain cognizant but have perception problems. This, of course, is is not at all how the brain actually works. <laughs> Go on. If, if I may say. Yeah, so, ju- this is, this is going to be your... your This is going to be yours entirely. I'm just going to let you go. You let me know when you're done. The primary way that the two hemispheres of the brains are connected is called the corpus callosum. It is a mound of white matter in the center. And what it does is it basically allows for information to travel back and forth. Now, in people with extreme epilepsy, um, they sever the corpus callosum in order to keep one half of the brain from infecting the other with a seizure so that it's localized. The only real effect that this has is that you have these situations where the right half of the body doesn't know what the left half is doing. So they can do things like, you know that old thing where, like, pat your head and rub your stomach at the same time? They have no problem with that. But at the same time... But at the same time, if you, like, show them something in their right field of vision and, like, a picture of something in their right field of vision and a word in their left field of vision and tell them to, like, write what they see, it will be different depending on which hand they use. Huh. And they don't realize it. That's all that happens. Strange. You you might have perception problems, but you don't go crazy and start seeing people as bugs. So, luckily... Uh, up, except for the science talk, this is all totally uh, explainable by the fact that we're in a sci-fi setting. And I I just wanted to speak my piece. I fully accept that. <laughs> no, 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 and I'm not saying, like, <laughs> saying how dare you, like, you know, not accept the, the conventions that we're working with. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just, I'm telling the yeah. listeners, don't worry about it. Zayna's totally right. It's it's we're letting it go (laughs) the the reason that i thought it actually helped the movie is because it made these doctors seem less like doctors they felt more like inquisitors they do they They do they say like okay there's here's a classic rorschach test has different right answers here there's only one right answer Mm -hmm. you either got it or you don't (laughs) that's that's and a you bit can more see hostile. Keanu Reeves is just like, did I do okay? It's not about okay, and we won't be able to tell you until you're done with the test. Now tell me what you see. And they're both just staring at him. And this is this is a very hostile kind of interrogation. There's one moment where it seems like they break character. Um, <laughs> Does it? 
Yeah, like they're they're like staring and they are strict and all that stuff, and then they just sort of like loosen up and like, oh, you know, you should buy her flowers or whatever. Oh um, yeah, that's right. Well, it's because Keanu breaks character first. I don't know. I I remember. Um, I took he, like, a just flips out like nothing. I took a um, you know, when you take psychology, uh, like a psychology course, you have to go to take a couple of tests, like as a, like as part of the class, like just because they need people to fill up the classes. Yeah, like, the I mean, they, they they make uh they make psychologists get psych tested, but they don't make surgeons <laughs> get cut. Damn on. it! Does that seem um, fair to you? Thanks, Ben. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and so one of the ones that I went to was like a stress test. And so they stuck me in a room with two people who just did not were smile. just yelling at you. They were just looking at me like I was – and like the scenario was like you're at a job interview. And they're like count backwards from 1,597 by sevens. I'm like 1,597, 1,590. <laughs> like it was so uncomfortable. And yeah. like they, they – like I felt it immediately – and then when I, I I met one of the people later, and they were like, oh, hey, how's it going? Like, whatever. Like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just kind of, like, retreated. Like, I don't trust you. I don't trust you, seven mistress. There's this formality that these psychologists have that they kind of come back to. And I'm, if if I were able to go through this movie with a comb, I could definitely say, like, okay, they break the character when they're trying to symbolize this and <laughs> or when the characters themselves are trying to do something specifically that is also true that's also um, true um they uh, i also really like this scene because it's sort of cementing the idea that we're using the eyes of an unreliable narrator mm. like we get into the whole scanner darkly thing later where we don't know if we can trust our own vision so we have to just leave it up to our, the camera watching us right this is where we first start feeling that. And we're it's like, it's okay, subtle. I don't know what we're looking at anymore because he doesn't seem to know what he's looking yeah. at. And it's subtle early on and it builds very nicely. Yeah, this this is I think that's the strongest part of this movie is how it's they frame they, they they slow roll your mistrust of the of the of the narrator you're given. Well, they don't slow the, roll the mistrust, but they it it develops progressively to deliver an incredible incredible payoff at the end. Yes. And that felt um, great. Felt fucking great. So Bob puts the suit back on and goes into Hank's office. And uh, Barris... Yeah, and Barris is chilling there like a motherfucker. <laughs> being like, oh, hey, I want to I sell out my friends. Hey, how are you doing? And, get, uh, uh, <laughs> and he just starts accusing Bob of... <laughs> Whom he does not know is right in the room. Of conspiring against the U.S. along with Donna. Yeah. He <laughs> he's like, he's a terrorist. terrorist. <laughs> um, he's Dale Gribbling his ass off in there. I didn't know what his game was at the time, and I kind of still don't, but... Um, I, I, I think I think that's, like, one of the characters that you can just kind of... He's, like, the... He's the free parameter that you don't have to assign to any particular yes. motivation. Yes. Because it's... it's who can say his own motives but himself like it's impossible yeah and he does uh he keeps dropping lines about bob's fractured mind um which adds to this sense of unreliable narrator yeah because we're like wait a second i thought barris was the shithead who didn't know what he was talking about now he's accurately saying stuff to the thing to the guy who doesn't know is that guy like yeah this is also weird (laughs) also up until this point the sense of like mind structuring and all that has been subtle and more like 
within it, it's been an undercurrent it's been in the background here he's just like explicitly stating like listen you can't trust bob his brain's messed up oh yeah uh, no <laughs> this is like yeah and, and it kind of clues us in that sometimes barris is actually pretty insightful but so right. much of the other amount of the time he just is talking out of his ass like, imagine if, like, one day He's it became really revealed strange. that the government is controlling us through our teeth. Like, you would still feel justified in ignoring that guy <laughs> yelling about it. But and he was right this one time. still feel justified <laughs> into believing him. <laughs> yes. You can't win with this guy. Um, yeah, so, so, yeah. Yeah, let's... Uh, <sighs> So he's actually there trying to look for a job with New Path. Like, he's talking, or, or no, with the drug enforcement people. <laughs> Which is like, this druggie comes in like, listen, I'm not trustworthy. I have some information about this guy. I think he's a terrorist. Give me a Give job. Give me a job. <laughs> he, and, like, he, he shows up in a different scene where he's, like, trying to make a homemade revolver silencer. Like, what yeah. is he, a psychologist slash garbageologist? I don't understand where he came from. Ben, he's a libertarian. I would love to. I would love to he- see like just a timeline of his whole life, with, like all the important events like labeled. This is yeah. this is an interesting specimen. Well, speaking of, we get a flashback to Bob's life. Um, yeah, it's like a '50s style, like perfect, like suburban life, mm-hmm. and he just hated it. So I want to I want to sh- I want to tell the actual context here because Please I do. think it, this is very important. He okay. has a flashback to his early life, which, by the way, I don't know if it actually happened. And <laughs> not important. Not important. Whatever. Uh, hand wave. Hand wave. Um, so none of this flashback. movie happened. And none of the movie happened. So this this flashback that he goes through is he, he's seeing his fifties life, his fifties kid. It's the same house that he's currently living in, but it's you know hospitable and family oriented and all that. And he gets up from the couch and he's like, "Anyone want popcorn?" You know, monotone. And everyone's like, "Yeah." And he goes over and he hits his head on a cabinet, and he screams, "Fuck!" Sees the blood come out and realizes he hates everything about his life. <laughs> Presumably thereafter. Divorcing his wife, making them move away, and taking up drugs and being a cop. <sighs> the pain. So unexpected and undeserved had for some reason cleared away the cobwebs. I realized I didn't hate the cabinet door. I hated my life. My house. My family. Are you okay, Daddy? What happened? My backyard. My power more. Nothing would ever change. Nothing new could ever be expected. It had to end. And it did. Yes. And this this yeah. runs this runs a huge dichotomy and it really emphasizes why people do go into the drug user lifestyle and why Philip K. Dick himself, you know, there's this idea that the simple life is like comfortable but boring, and some people not would according rather... to Paris Hilton. Thanks. <laughs> That's <laughs> woo. <laughs> Let's all applaud Ben for that. One. That's a long reach. <laughs> um, so some people think that the ups and downs that come with drugs are worth it, are justified. Uh, recall, if you will, even though you can't quote. get out of it. 
Recall, if you will, Fight Club. It's a destructive uh, habit. Not. No, no, no. It's a th- this is this is a good analog. Not because they use drugs, but because there it was couched in this way, where like you can follow society and be a slave to everything, or you can break away from it, be self-destructive, and do whatever you want. Yeah, and you know my own personal philosophy really chafes at that, but I they <laughs> they drive that message very well. They do. This, this is this is a good. Uh, it, again, it's kind of showing us the lighter side, just like mm-hmm. all the comedy scenes, which sort of justifies them. But I, I really like the. I love it when anyone does a speech that just tells us about the whole movie, which is nice. <laughs> also, I'd like to remind everyone um, that we just got out of a scene in which we were told, "Hey, you can't just trust what Bob says because he isn't drug addict and his mind might be fractured." And we are immediately followed with a scene that says. Hey, that two-way split is now a three-way split because it might be brain damage from when he hit his head on the goddamn cabinet. <laughs> yeah. Um And man, I love that. I love that. <laughs> not only are we not sure what Bob is looking at, but we don't even know why he's looking at that. There's a um there's a line. I don't know if you ever saw the show Dollhouse. Uh you showed me one scene. Um I don't remember that. It was with Tudic. Yeah, yeah. It was the it was the scene with Tudic. Tudic. Three mouth. <laughs> you're oh. on fire today am i you're that fired really bad you're, you're fired today um okay and alan tudyk uh is like this guy who's absorbed so many personalities into his brain and he says something like <laughs> guess what i was imagining right there <laughs> <laughs> just sucking them in through his forehead that's not wrong Woo! Um, we could talk about Dollhouse another time. Um, talk about just Voltroning. But, but he says he has this line where he says, um, "I don't have multiple personality disorder. I am many people." Okay, well, one of those people has multiple personality disorder. But the point is, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't listen to him much. Yeah, he's an alcoholic. This is a this is a similar thing like false memory, drug use, brain damage. All together. <laughs> yeah. This is a really sad scene for a lot of reasons. It's it's pretty lucky that it's followed immediately by the dumbest car trouble <laughs> scene you could possibly have. I love this. <laughs> like uh, you go ahead and go so, ahead and do this one. He's driving Barris and Luckman. The gas pedal sticks and they yeah, go flying team. <laughs> flying down the highway like a racing cartoon. Uh, like a racing game where you're like shifting lanes really quickly they manage to pull over they check out the car and a crucial part a screw came loose no 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 we gotta so and they they suspect sabotage they tried to stop the car by continually mashing down the gas pedal and metaphor what metaphor more metaphors no 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 a screw (laughs) came a screw came loose in the car they tried to avoid it by going harder Screw came loose in his head. He tries to avoid it by going harder. <laughs> okay, I, I didn't even see that one. That's not that's not too bad. They suspect but, uh, sabotage. <laughs> they, they like so they break down and they start talking about cars in a way I'm sure none of them actually understand cars. Like this is Barris incredible. is fueling them entirely. They're like, okay, we're gonna play intellectual hopscotch here. Just like let's see who gets the point. And they all start talking about how they how the screw would rotate in such a way, and they expect suspect sabotage. <laughs> at which point, Bob says, I, "I I gotta fucking duck out of this," and he considers not taking the pills here. Yes. So so Barris offers him some D, and he refuses, and he says, um, 
<laughs> Stop it. The best. <laughs> um, and he says, listen, man, Substance D didn't screw up your car. Like, it can't mess up a car. Yeah, Ob- Obama did. <laughs> or, yeah. you know, the aliens. <laughs> Can I just point out where they're like, yeah, you know, the screw came loose because you were turning right. If you had been turning left, you know, going south. No, no, in Australia. Not, in not the in southern Australia. Hemisphere. <laughs> <laughs> like, just... They're so dumb, and they're so... I really love people who so are incredibly up. wrong, but incredibly confident about being wrong. <laughs> but this is also a really sad scene, because you have Bob, who's just got... he. Bob has these weird, rare moments of lucidity that separate him from the rest of the cast. Yeah. And he's using the rare moment of lucidity here to try to break away from uh, the D. But his druggy friends, in a very realistic way, just suck him back in. Because they don't want to like you know you the last thing that an alcoholic wants to do is support his friends leaving alcoholism because then it reflects a problem in his own life. And uh, to drive that metaphor home a little harder, there's a good chance that Barris himself was the one who tampered with the car. Yeah, because it's immediately revealed that he also put traps in Bob's house <laughs> in case anyone tried to break in. Okay, so this is where like. <laughs> This is the longest scene, like, cohesive continuity in the movie so far, and it's... You have to see it. You have to watch it, you know? You can't even explain how crazy it is. We should just roll right through it. Listen, I bugged your house. Why did you bug my house? To see if anyone break in. Well, why would anybody go in through the door if they can use the window? Because I left the door on your door saying it was unlocked. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it makes perfect sense. (laughs) Now they all get back, and they start wondering... If they're being bugged by the cops. Which, of course, they are. Which they fucking are. Because he is the cops. It's This movie's so hard to unwrap. There's so many different (laughs) viewpoints which shouldn't be right but are, and then should be right but aren't, and you don't even know who anyone is on anyone else's side. Barris doubles down on his paranoia. He checks the tapes. And I should point out, he's typing into the computer while the gun is still in his hand. He's, like, typing with a gun. Yeah, and they start wrestling while he has the gun. It's um, it's really goofy. And he says, you know what? They came home. They erased the tapes that I set up because they the tow truck that gave us a ride was bugged. And they removed the evidence before. Like, you can hear, he's just, like, the, he's just the Joker. rationalizing. The Joker explaining this, licking his lips the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is how he gets off, is he makes up these elaborate Barris conspiracy is, series. He is hard. <laughs> Visibly. Barris is so hard explaining stupid shit that makes no sense to his <laughs> druggy friends who are just drugged up enough to believe him. Yes. Uh, well, let's let's try to pick up the pace of it because a lot of this shit happens, and it's just like further evidence that drugs are bad. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. So Bob is starting to lose it big. He yeah, sees, he's, he sees them as bugs, and when he's, um, it, it it's it switches to a scene where he's watching surveillance footage. He's back at his actual job where he's wearing the scramble shoot suit, and he's watching. Yeah. He's watching. Uh, surveillance footage of all of them hanging out and having another fucking dumb stoner conversation, which is talking about posing as an imposter, which Bob is doing at that exact second. Right. And which Luckman, just, I love it when that happens. Luckman chokes, and Barris does nothing to help. Yeah, this is... It's incredible. I Yeah, and... The, <sighs> he's choking, he's on the floor, he's down. Barris looks at him, 
eventually get, gets up, goes to call nine one, and he's like, "Yeah, I have a um, you know, a situation here. I require some help." <laughs> like, yeah, it's just like the most half-assed call for help. He like, either oh. wants Luckman dead or he's just completely self-centered. I think he's just out of it. I didn't give yeah. it any more thought than that, to be honest. And Bob's watching this happen, and he's like horrified. I have to do something soon yeah somehow like like yeah something's got to give i should also point out that bob pops some pills through his scramble suit while he's talking on the phone it's great this is confusing i'm just gonna gonna let it go i'm I'm gonna say that's something metaphor i don't understand super fine (laughs) i i wanted to point out one line that uh what's his face says the the guy comes to luckman look you know hacks up whatever he was choking on and they and he gets mad at what's his face rightly so and barris says the most incredible line i've ever heard all right i'm gonna give you a little feedback since you seem to be proceeding through life like a cat without whiskers perpetually caught behind the refrigerator what the fuck is he saying? And I, I, I have just enough unfounded trust in Barris to believe that that's some kind of saying, but so I don't I, think it is. I want to point out something about the dialogue in this movie, which hmm. is it. Part of it came from the book, part of it came yeah. from the director, and part of it came from the actors because they showed up a couple weeks before they started shooting just to read through the script, act it out, and make some changes. Oh, so yeah? I feel I feel like that is a Robert Downey Juniorism. I don't know it if has you, to be. I don't know if you laughed out loud at that scene, but I absolutely just couldn't handle it. I rewound you, and I was like, did I get every word of that? <laughs> you don't so want to cool. laugh. It's just... Yeah. This next uh, scene is worth mentioning. We have what is known on YouTube as Freck's suicide scene. Yes, this, he, uh, this is a weird one. <laughs> the the narrator, like nonchalant even for this movie, it because yeah. it's completely separate from everything. Yeah, Morgan Freeman reading the dictionary about Freck's life or something. Like it's not actually Morgan Freeman, but it's someone who's basically just count, like telling, like just uh, narrating what is happening to Freck. While and Freck's he's just the biggest. Like crazy. Freck's the biggest sad sack in the universe. He, he's like, pretty I, bad. I feel bad for him, but I also hate him. So the, the the suicide scene is about him preparing to commit suicide because he's depressed as hell, and uh, he takes a bunch of D and a bottle of wine, and an he... alien from another dimension comes down and reads Freck's sins for all eternity. We're about sixty minutes into this movie at this point. I still don't know what the movie's about at this point. So there's two things I want to say about this scene. <laughs> one, I don't know if you ever saw the drug scene from Train Spotting. No, I didn't. It's the one where he's like freaking out in that room because they're trying to detox him, and he sees that baby crawl on the ceiling, and the head flips around. You probably have seen it referenced. I've seen it before. referenced, although I think I thought it was an Exorcist reference at the time. <laughs> that is, I think, a far more evocative and sort of profound reflection on drug mentality this one seems very much like it's played for surreal laughs yeah this is a fear and loathing kind of thing yeah exactly gotta get out of bat country um that's the first thing the second thing is this is the last time freck is not only seen in the movie 
the last time he's mentioned. He does show up later, bald and like rambling for like a line, but that's really? about it. Yeah, in the clinic. I forgot. He's um, in the background. The the point is that he doesn't show up anymore, and no one in their group of friends even acknowledges his. Leaving. They don't care about him. No, it's just like a group of burnt out users might just forget. They mm. might have just forgot or thought they dreamed him. So that yeah. that is a good scene. I agree. Um, let's take it. Let's take a breath and see where we are. Yeah the the plot kind of picks up at this point. So um, we have a scene where uh, Bob watches somebody get nobodied. Yeah, this is this is one of those scenes that just kind of cemented, just reminded me that I didn't know what was happening. Because mm-hmm. you ignore I, the sort of government Big Brother stuff at this point because you're so focused on the drugs. You do? And also I don't know who the guy on the street was supposed to be. Who was he protesting? The was New Path involved? Government? Was he? I don't I, know. Honestly, I honestly didn't know. And Bob ignore like he forgets about it immediately because Dom drives up. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go we get, back. We get to... to see the actual fabric behind whatever their relationship is. It's been heavily established up to this point that Donna does not like physical touch. However, yeah. we have seen her cuddling with uh, with Bob to a limited amount, which or seems a was little bit that strange. Her? Shut up! <laughs> but uh... no, that's that's the actual thing. So, um. They go back to her place. Uh, She turns away his advances, like you said. He storms out. She follows him. Yeah, he has coax him back in and like talking about how she wants to get out, get away from all of it. Well, he like he asks about how much cocaine she does, and like she's clearly pretty far gone. She's like Um, some, I don't know, not a lot. Yeah, everyone says not a lot to the amount of drugs they take in the movie, (laughs) which is the only right answer if you're ever asked. It's also the only answer, though. Um, they make it clear, like, how addicted they are, how messed up their world has become. Yeah. And when, and they, they have sex, and when he wakes up, it seems like she's OD'd. So here, here's the thing. Uh, I remember Donna going back into her place, and then Bob leaving, and then just finding someone else and sleeping with her. So here's the thing. He, <laughs> he, he wakes up. And he's not sure who that is. Like he's yeah. He's I didn't wa- know who it was either. This is <laughs> this, this is this is all videotaped. He's reviewing the tapes later at work. So we yeah. get this weird sex scene kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's sped up a thousand times in a Which way they, that I really uh, they find didn't really need funny. to show. Us. I um, thought it was funny, but basically he he sees that it wasn't a hallucination, or it still is, or, or something. Yeah, but he so, sees himself freak out about the fact that he like thought she OD'd or something and he sees himself yeah. kind of like I I always saw it as like in the midst of his sleep he was woken up and he saw her and didn't recognize her yeah and he's seeing himself not recognize someone he recognizes this is an example of the cross chatter that the psychologists were warning about mm-hmm. uh, because instead of hooking up with Donna he hooked up with this other girl Connie and briefly perceived her as Donna or instead of hooking up with Connie, he hooked up with Donna, and then most of the time perceived her as Connie. Yeah, not clear, and also not important. Oh, but but the the thing I like about this is that instead of you know a situation where you know people like, well, let, give me give me a second to phrase this in my brain because I had it <laughs> and now I've lost it. 
<laughs> it is it it must be such with this film. It's a situation where he's sure he had sex with someone. <laughs> <laughs> I know I fucked something. <laughs> but he's not sure who. Seemed like it was important at the time. Like um <laughs> Like it's it's you know how sometimes people will like be in a relationship but they can't they're not sure how they define it? So the relationship's defined. He's just not sure who it's with. So this this is the Fight Club moment where it's yes. like you're Tyler Durden, you're the one who gave me this scar. This is the this is the moment where he's like what they're telling me, I I, I finally understand now. Nothing I have seen for the past however long in my life can be trusted. I don't know what's going on in my life anymore. And yeah. he goes and sees the uh the the psychologist again. Right? Except they look different sometimes. They fucking look like a they, they used to be two Brits. One of them's now a black eye, and one of them's a small nerd. And then they swap back. And then they just swap back like nothing. <laughs> so he says that, you know, he's changed since last week. They tell him that his brain is fighting itself, which I'm pretty sure is also not a thing, but I'll no, skip no, it for time. It's fine. Um, Robert Downey Jr. is in this movie. They say, movie. like, we know that you're taking substance D. That's the only thing that does this. And this, he he questions what he knows. He hopes that the scanners can see into him clearly, yeah. not darkly, and can figure out what's wrong with him because he can't. What does a scanner see? Into the head? Down into the heart? Does it see into me? Into us? Clearly or darkly? I hope it sees clearly because I can't any longer see into myself. I see only Mark. I hope for everyone's sake the scanners do better. Because if the scanner sees only darkly the way I do, then I'm cursed and cursed again and will only wind up dead this way, knowing very little and getting that little fragment wrong too. Yeah, this is a cool soliloquy that's an excellent parallel and metaphor for uh, how much do we trust our government. I believe it's taken directly from uh, Philip K. Dick's book. I believe so as well. Do you have the entirety of it? I do not. I don't either, but the idea is exactly as you said. He's like, if these scanners that I've put up in my home see us, do they see... Because he, he's, you know, relied on them for like a second source of sight yeah. at times. So he's like, I see more clearly through the scanners than I do through my own eyes. I wonder if the scanner itself sees as clearly as I hope it does. Because I can't, I can't turn these eyes on myself. Like yeah. I can't trust myself. Who do? Who can I trust? Can I trust the people observing me? Which is, of course, a parallel to the entire uh, government. Um, yeah. What's it called? Surveillance program in this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's also a metaphor <laughs> later on to whether yeah. or not we can we can sort of govern our own lives, or if we need to trust that God has a plan for us. Memento did a similar thing with the guy who couldn't make new memories, and it's like, what? Who do you believe, yourself or these notes, the system? Yeah, that that's been established to keep things in order. Yeah, which and and this is a better, I think, this is a better argument for that point. Yes, I think, definitely, because it's not the same person. You don't. It's like that other one sounds like a like a bioethics problem. Like, do you trust the person who says to you know, do you, you not trust your past them? self? Yeah. Or do you trust them now that they're saying, no, trust me, even though I'm sometimes crazy in the morning? Like, this one is, 
Is a drug addict able to make autonomous choices, even if it, the drugs in question are destroying their brain? Also, and, he's multiple people at times. And the government. And doesn't know which one of <clears throat> him is real. Right. Uh, yeah. I, this there's so many layers. Is, there's so many layers to this one specific character, and he's the one telling us everything. It's, and Keanu Reeves... You just have to swim in it, you know? Keanu Reeves, you know, such a blank slate. He's really a good choice for this, I think. Yeah, I, I think people are kind of unfair about Keanu Reeves' range. Like, I no, I agree too. He, he's but he's a muted emotional, but yeah, it's not as though you can't do a lot with that. I mean, I mean, more his reputation suits sure. this film. Yeah, and he does play it as that, but like, he, you know, right there in the very first scene where he's telling off the lodge, like that's not boredom or like. Yeah, that that's a very specific emotion that does not fit into you know Neo. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think they give him enough credit. But yeah. Moving on, um, Barris th- shows up with some uh, fake recordings for Hank. Yeah, incredibly fake recordings. <laughs> Between like, so, uh, where Bob should we mail the anthrax, Bob? And it just <laughs> it gets worse from there. And he's like, ah, <laughs> to ah, Syria. How about a job? <laughs> and <laughs> Hank really immediately arrests him. <laughs> yeah, which and he does it in this. Hank does it in this way. That makes it seem like I don't know if Barris knew he was being arrested. <laughs> it was kind of vague. Yeah, he was like, you know, we're, we're going to have to pour through this evidence. You're prohibited from leaving just until we get the evidence through the evidence, of course. And we're we're going to have all this process, but we need to yeah. keep you in special holding right now for your own safety, of course. And just and Barris is just sort of stammering in the way that he does. And um, this is kind of. This, like, is, this, this, this is another is those, big one. This is those last 20 minutes where the plot where kicks back about? up. Because I needed to consult the Wikipedia summary as I was watching this. The last um, you know, 40 minutes or so of movie weren't even covered by the Wikipedia summary. That's how, <laughs> that's how insignificant they were to the plot. <laughs> well, they're insignificant to the themes. Yes. The yes. themes that we're working with is you know this guy with a fractured mind, and if you, can, if you can't trust your own... If you can't trust your own uh, mm-hmm. perception, what do you trust? And, yeah. you know, the perils versus excitement of a drug habit. So now, get ready for mind screw after mind screw. Yeah, if uh, you thought the movie was confusing so far... Get just, ready. All right. Let's see if we can go through the... Let's. Do you want to just try to, like, state the plot for the rest of the movie? Hank tells Bob like, no, that no, he read... Can, can we do that? Just yeah. state it line uh, after line and not comment on it, and then we can go back. <laughs> Hank tells Bob that he read his medical records. He'll be fined for using substance D. His brain is worse than he thought. He mm-hmm. tells him that it was James they were looking for all along. Uh, Hank goes to put James? away his script. I thought it was yeah. Barris. Uh, Barrett. James Barris. Sorry. I, I, I wrote forgot it that he had a first name. <laughs> yeah. He says, uh, let's make—I'm going to call Donna— um, just to make sure she, she can take yeah. care of you, just so she can take care of you, and has a fake conversation with Donna on the other side of the line. And you know it's a fake conversation because... Because Hank, Hank was Donna all along! Yeah, and I sort of <laughs> thought that there was going to be some mind screw like that at the end, so I wasn't super surprised, but mm. it's pretty cool. Donna takes Bob to New Path, and Bob's losing it. He can barely function anymore. He's he's vomiting on the floor, and his eyes are bloodshot, and he can't, can't even kind of focus, and... Donna um, is saying these sweet nothings about you got dealt a bad hand. Yeah. Hopefully you can come back. It's and it's, she says it, a really poignant line, which I want to point out. 
Yeah, which is uh, which which one of them says we'll take care of this loser for you, and she just stares at him and is like, "It's easy to win," which is really cool. <laughs> yeah. We'll come back to that in a second, but for the meantime, it's got really we... creepy, creepy string music. Like the whole place has a very tense feel. But um, yeah. they they transfer him to a farm. Um, yeah, he's got bad brain damage. He's just kind of following orders. He's following we... orders. They give him a new identity of Bruce, and he is now working at a farm. He's basically slave labor because he doesn't know any better. He's like, uh, "We'll get you some fresh air, Bruce," and he's like, "I like air," and he's like, "Don't we all?" <laughs> and it's, it's sort of like that thing. Um, somebody um, else meets with Donna under an assumed name. We learn that New Path is the are the people growing Substance D. The farm that he's currently at is the people who are making Substance D. And Donna New Path got, was the reco- re, uh, recovery yeah, center for it. Donna got Bob addicted in the first place and sent him to New Path to get evidence, and they hope that he remembers enough that he'll bring back the evidence, which is that blue flower from the beginning that they used to make it. And he, he remembers just enough to hide it in his boot. A present for my friends for Thanksgiving. And that's... Okay. Like, we went through a lot. Let's break There's, this down. Let's break this down. So, <laughs> this is I, incredible. I have, a, I have a lot to say here, mostly Please. about the last few bits. But oh, it's, there, it's... there's a lot of cool stuff here. Yeah. So the fact that they're paying so much attention to Bob, Hank is like talking about how Bob is like this. He, he's treating him very specially at this point, and he's like, yeah. "We're going to give you compé, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. You did this thing no one else could, and they're talking to him in a fashion in which we're not really sure what's going on. Um, yeah. And it leads us to believe that Bob is special for some reason. We don't know why exactly, but we know that he, we, we recall, it, I recalled when they, when Hank was talking to him like this, that Bob is prone to moments of lucidity, whereas every other user in the movie has been completely out of their minds the entire yeah. time. Yeah. And the, Bob, faced with this information, doesn't realize that he's Bob anymore. And this is crazy effective at empathetically making us feel for bob yeah yeah and feel like, so Don- bad for him donna feels bad for him she did this to him and then you're like wasn't donna the one who didn't want close physical contact oh my god she was trying to keep him at arm's length so she wouldn't develop feelings for him and i didn't piece this together myself but i read online when the psychologists were telling him to oh you should get donna some flowers she'll I like saw you that more. as well they were programming him to retrieve the drug flowers yeah and oh, so good <laughs> And we're noticing these two sides to his personality, and we're like, they're they're using him for this dual nature. Why don't they do it with other people? And it strikes us back again. He's the only one who kind of has this split personality. Everyone else is just a brain-addled idiot. This man is somebody who can partition his different lives into different halves of his brain. Yeah. Such that, like, he is special. He's special in that he's got a different kind of brain damage. I thought it was interesting. You just said, like... Why didn't they use more people this way? This was, I think this might have been the only person it could have worked with. Well, no, but the idea of like using people as a, mo- as a means to an end and you saying, why didn't they do more of that? Well, <laughs> it's I mean, just, like, you have to the, use that cold logic. It, well, it's a, it's a theme of like using people as a means to an end, like shutting up the guy who was dissenting against the government to save the government. Sure, you know? and that's what New Path is doing, is churning out yeah. slave labor so that they can make more product. Mm-hmm. And, it's crazy. Ah, so good. <laughs> ah. And uh, we, like I said, we do see uh, Freck there in the hospital. 
Yeah, there's they, a brief moment where they're all just kind of like talking, babbling. Yeah, I guess. it's it's really unsettling. Uh, it's, and the it's farm, heartbreaking. And the farm does seem really nice in comparison until you remember that it's it's a prison. Yeah, and no, it's it's a prison that happens to be outside. Uh, it reminds me of a plantation a little bit. Yeah, and uh, and, and so his brain's gone. That's his brain is so, his brain is oh, gone. That, that's like, so talk about tragic. A fear. Talk about a fear. Like I've been high before. My greatest. I I always get really paranoid when I'm high. One of my fears that, like, the few times I've been high, the the fear that always comes back is, like, oh, my God, I can't think straight right now. What if this never stops? Yeah. I, I haven't, but I've always had that fear of, like, losing my mind. Like, watching Invader Zim, the scariest yeah. part, the scariest episode was the one where they were, like, I'm they going gonna to make, make you dumb. dumb. Yeah. Right? Like, that is, it's such a personal thing. It's so much more personal than killing you in a in a really strange way. They're they're yeah. not kill they're not they're not ending you. They're changing what you are into something you don't like. Yeah, and and they did that for Freck too with his you know alien drug trip. Sure, <laughs> with his alien drug trip, but we didn't empathize with him because he, he was already of, he was already gone. He did it to himself too. Like he's not yeah. the victim so much as like. The willing victim, and yeah. that makes it a little bit harder they, to empathize with do him. S- but everyone is driving the point home that Bob did not sign up for this. Donna, you, Donna as Hank even kind of blames Bob at the toward the end when he's like, "You, you didn't have to take didn't it. Have to other take the pills. other agents have avoided it." And she's you, talking about herself. Oh my god! It but was... she, but yes, he did because she made him have to take the pills so that yeah. he could infiltrate, you know, new path. It, yeah. it's, it all stacks up on itself incredibly well, and it's hard to find plot holes because it's hard to tell what's going on in the plot, but everything you do figure out makes sense within that context. And the whole movie builds to these last few minutes to, like, it finishes off so nicely and completely. Like, we talked about that middle chunk that didn't seem important, but it, I, I, I think it... It was, like, it was just, giving just, you time to percolate, I feel you, like. You, you needed the movie to be longer than just the key plot elements. Also, it's it, it's mirroring the whole druggy, utop- or, uh, you know, euphoria versus madness mm-hmm. thing, spectrum, where half of the time you're happy without reason, quite literally. Yeah. And the other and half of the time you are distressed from not understanding what's going on. Yeah. Which and, was a much um, better synopsis than I thought it was going to be, and I'm going to pat myself on the back. Well done. Um, I want the, to bring up one thing about the final scene in this movie. Please do. When they go to the farm, they're kind of talking to Bruce as though he were a cow. They're like, Bruce, don't you love this farm? You're going to love it here. I love farms. Sure you do. And there's mountains, although there's no there's no snow. I like mountains. That's right. And uh, and he and Bob, and Bob in, you know, one of his lucid moments is like, will I see my friends again? And um, oh, yeah. the guy says, yeah, sure, maybe a few times a year. You'll go back to the, the clinic. You'll see him for Thanksgiving. When he picks up the flower and says, a present for my friends on Thanksgiving. Yeah. I don't think he remembers that he's working. I don't even think he is working. I think the end of this movie is 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 supposed to be ambiguous in that I think he was just going to give it to those a- other brain- drug-addled idiots oh, man. at the hospital. It's possible. Because I was really hoping that Bob would come back, but the music really 
really is trying to sell the hopelessness of the situation and it, mm-hmm. there's something so sad about getting so close to the finish line sacrificing so much and then just not quite reaching it i i really hope that's not what happens but no, after the movie it's so but powerful if that is it what is. happens because it really jukes you with the gut shot because i'm like is he gonna remember does he yeah. remember and i'm telling myself he's not gonna remember and then he well, picks up the flower and smiles and he says that line a present for my friends at Thanksgiving, and it could be taken either way. What was it all for? Yeah, it's, I think it was take. I think it was taken the dark way. He doesn't yeah. remember. You would. He's the brain-addled idiot. He's just going to give uh, it to the other people at the thing. And the but movie... if you want to sleep at night, go ahead and pretend that he actually got the job done. Well, Although, you're probably you're probably I right with mention, the darkness. I should mention that Donna does not want to do this anymore because, you know, Donna is like, we're just like them. We're just using people as these tools. And Mike, the detective that she's working with, is like, I can't say for sure whether this is moral or not. That's for someone with a higher authority than I. Perhaps God has a great plan, and it's the whole Scanner Darkly thing again. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, those were my final thoughts. The movie ends with a message from Philip K. Dick from the book, uh, that says, this has been a story about people who were punished entirely too much for what they did. And it's a list of his friends who were addicts, including himself. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, and like, you don't generally think of, like... I legitimately just got chills from that sentence. Yeah, you don't think of, like, futuristic sci-fi dystopia as historical fiction. But that, it's a real gut punch. It is. It is. This this movie hits you so hard at the at the last twenty minutes. Yeah. In a way that you did not think was gonna come out of Dazed and Confused. The the idea of being punished too much is a really strong one because not only the punishment, but knowing that you brought it on yourself and double that with the unfairness of like getting more than you should. It's just a sadness pile. Like it's, it's, it's the, a sadness it's the, pile that's very it's the worst relatable. kind of despair. Yeah. It's very relatable. And like you said at the end, that little glimmer of hope squashed so easily. <laughs> it's it, yeah. All you have to do is interpret it a different way, and suddenly all your efforts are for naught. So good. This is so good. It's sustenance from this. This is dark. My soul. This, this has been some, a dark one. This is some dark ass <laughs> chocolate. Uh. But man, but man, is that good? Yeah. When I got hit with that gut punch, I'm like. I didn't enjoy what I felt just now, but I felt it hard. I felt glad that I felt it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a couple steps removed from actual joy. I'm I'm growing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm growing, but in a twisted diabolical pattern. After after the movie, I like stood up and like walked around and looked outside. I'm like uh, like I'm so it's, glad. <laughs> oh, I was like it's not so bright outside. No, I was like, it is bright outside. The like, storm is coming. <laughs> like, I'm glad that this is not my life kind of oh thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, we take it for granted being privileged as we are, never having kind of yeah. had that dilemma whether or not we would be, we would try to be free, although it meant kind of a loss of self-sense, because the way yeah. you and I have turned out, very scientific and logically oriented, we never take risks that are of such permanent consequence. Yeah. It the, the the price is too high. But Philip K. Dick in those last little bits, following the fact that following the sort of moral dilemma that Donna is having, 
raising the question, was this all worth it if it puts a stop to this thing? Is is drug use worth it? Is punishing drug users worth it? And then he reads down the name of the list of names and basically is saying to the audience, not worth it. Yeah. And, like, that list of names humanized, like, the idea of a drug addict more than, I think, a lot of the movie did. More than a lot of the characters did. Mo- more than almost more all than the characters. Luckman. Bob, you what can definitely... What the fuck definitely... was Freck? Yeah, Luckman kind of faded. Like, he disappeared. Luckman, Freck, and Barris, Barris were all just... They might as well not have been people. Yeah. Donna gets a pass. Bob gets a pass. Bob, nope. I think, you could analyze if he was a... Uh, I mean, we basically if, did you, just you, talk about Bob for about an hour and a half. We did. And I'm still not certain to what degree I sympathize with, with him, because at the end, by the end, he was sort of alien. How much of it was his fault, do you think? You know, deep question. Yeah, either immediate or ultimate, and I'm not sure which. So, here's what I wonder. I've got a couple questions looking back from the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. Did Bob really have a family in the past? I'd like to... Like, he doesn't seem that old. Um... That... It's a really tricky thing, because the idea of falling, like from that sort of stability because we don't generally see him during any sort of highs like we don't see him happy even when he's around his friends who are you know guffing it up 18 speed bike Um, (laughs) you know he's happy around donna he's not he's happy around donna and that's about it and even that's that's because he's he's her charge essentially (laughs) right um i don't know i i've read um accounts of drug addicts who have done like a lot of ecstasy or other things that just make you feel euphoric and if if you you know take it too long your brain is unable to really feel that anymore and you can process things as being good but you can't feel good and i feel like he was in a similar way like by the end of it he said like i'm never taking substance d again like i i don't want to feel like this all the time and they're like it's kind of too late yeah (laughs) didn't you listen to rdj at the beginning of the movie (laughs) You either tried it or you're either on it or you haven't tried it. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that he did have a family simply because it lends, lends more credence to the bump on the head giving him that split split sort of psyche. <laughs> when Bob Archer, he was a normal <laughs> suburban family man when one day he was granted superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> the ability quite a, to heal himself into a different mindset. Um yeah. Uh, and again, it, yeah, the geez. the animation, um, at, uh, you know, course. it drives it drives this point home. Yeah, let's again. let's 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 talk about a little uh, ending things. Yeah. So let's let's talk about a little bit of this tone and genre that we might not have covered. Um, mm-hmm. So much like most of Dick's work, this plays heavily with the notion that what you see is not actually the reality around you, and. I found that it frankly looked made, made stuff like Fight Club look downright pandering and tame. You know. <laughs> well, I've always thought that about a Fight Club. <laughs> really, I, mean, I don't pandering, like Fight Club. Sure. Uh, yeah, maybe not tame, but it, I still I, like I, it though. I've I've never really liked Fight Club. That I always... one was more about a sort of soul search for you know men without purpose. Well, my my than than it was about drug use. 
my personal feeling on like society and stability and like law and all that is I really like it. I like the rules. I think the government's there to help us. And I'd like not, to think that. It's not a popular opinion, it seems. But Yeah, well the, the thing negative about, swells to the top. The, the 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 reason why I like this movie a lot more and think it did a better job of representing why stability might not always be good is because they were forced like Bob was forced into this life. The guys in Fight Club were just like yeah, we, you know, we have jobs Maybe and we, we like we can afford whatever. For a while. We, yeah, we can like afford things and like consumerism or whatever. And then they just were like, no, screw it. And let's take everyone else down with us. And I I can't like I am so they're, they're philosophically opposed. I'm so philosophically opposed to it that I couldn't enjoy it. They're sheep of a different nature. Like that's still within the theme of that uh, of still sheep. Mhm. Um yeah, I Oh man, I, I'm uh, I'm I'm having trouble like forming thoughts. <laughs> the the thing about it being a point of stability, um, the w- one thing that this movie kind of does is it doesn't argue from either you know freedom or security. It, it uh, muddles through both. It it plays a Miyazaki and says that the truth is in the middle, where you're you're fighting kind of both sides of the extreme. Mm-hmm. The group in the in the middle is of course in the madness extreme. The group, uh, the, the the police force is on the security edge of the extreme, and, you know, you can Drugs. see it, it doesn't romanticize either one except in, in contrast. Yes. You know, so I, I think Philip's, uh, Philip K. Dick's point in this movie that was very, was very clear, is that, like, you need some stability, but it can't be kind of imposed about, upon you from an outside force, because you really can't trust the scanner itself either. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. Sometimes and it's it, got some dirt on it. Mm-hmm. Some cheese in the lens. The uh, and and it does make you leave you feeling like there is no answer, which appeals to the nihilist in me. And <laughs> and I love it when a when a movie doesn't have like a lot of movies have like this sort of agenda where it's like I have a point and this is the right way. This movie comes to the end and is like, these were bad ways, but I don't have a better way. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's a it, humble touch. Yeah, it, it's it's humble. It's, it's freely acknowledging the faults of, you know, disagreeing with everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, I, but I, and I like that it, um, it didn't talk down to us. It didn't insult our intelligence in any way. Uh, you know what? That's where the that's where the stoner parts come in. I feel like those. <laughs> oh are, yes, that's correct. I forgot about that. It's hard to forget about. Them. <laughs> like you let's managed just, to do talk it. about them for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like the the stoner scenes. Um, this is not okay. So, have you seen Requiem for a Dream? I have not. I have wanted to at different times, but I never bring myself to actually do it. So take all of the surveillance and lighthearted comedy out of this, and you have Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. It's all of the madness and horror of addiction. And that kind of movie is is one of those PSA sort of, I have a message and this is the message, don't do drugs. Okay. And uh, this one is a little bit, this, this one's more tender about it, which is why I don't mind the stoner sequences. I mm-hmm. still feel like this movie has its crosshairs misaligned somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in what way? It switches between portraying drug addiction as a silly character trait and a crippling 
psychopathology. Well, those are the main ways that it's represented in, the, in like, the media. Yeah, that's true. But they also flip-flop with, with, uh, with the surveillance state. But they do it in a way that seems more fantastic and unreal. Yeah. Which I I don't like know. The, it doesn't the, seem the, like they're treating it in the same way. The drug addict parts were much more present day and the like um big brother stuff felt very futuristic. Like they had that huge It also room. just felt more serious. Like it wasn't wasn't yeah. like hearted in any of those scenes. It was it was procedural. It was, you know, by the book sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you had you had that huge room of columns of like people wiretapping yeah and i wonder if it would have been different if they added some lighthearted procedural stuff like you know signing up a 401k for your pets or some nonsense you know just like Uh pointless paperwork sort of garbage and uh i don't know it just it felt like they paid attention to the two thrusts of this movie in a very different way that wasn't really focused (laughs) sure which if you can give a pass for a movie for being unfocused this is the one yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But it still did feel unfocused, especially because of so much of the flip-flopping back and forth. It had a point, I, but it was yeah. it was difficult to follow because of that. Yeah, I, I'd like to watch it again, but not for a couple years, I think. Yeah, this is definitely something you show to someone that you whose opinion you value highly, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You want to know what intellectuals think of this movie, <laughs> right? Yeah, there, I mean, there's like we said, like... When we were describing those last 20 minutes, we like there was so much to There's just so much. And I, sink I picked into. my favorite little like nougat from it, but there, you could go a lot you could go a lot deeper yeah. in a lot different directions. Um, let's uh, let's start wrapping this up, I think. All right. Um, well, was there anything in animation you wanted to point out other than the awesome scramble suits and the awesome rotoscoping? Um, just the concept that things seem more real when they're at a distance. The yeah. this deal this deals with this idea of detail and the cartoon. Um, mm-hmm. When you see things further away, you don't notice the change in difference in the animation, but up close, it's really like I said earlier, uncanny valley. Yeah, and you also like notice the changes in a in a in a starker way. Like mm-hmm. there's 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 fewer levels of gradation, so each jump is a little bit hardier. So you don't see the lines blurring over time but when you do finally notice them they kind of jump out at you i don't know if you noticed in the last few scenes bob's bob looking at hank in the scatter suit it it, he's like drawing outside the lines and it's jumping from place to place oh i didn't notice that yeah and you don't notice it because you know you're becoming used to it over time but enough it's enough of a jump that it kind of stuck out at me the animation style becomes more and less apparent over time in the movie. It, it depends on when you look at it, basically. Yeah. Um, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about the music. Um, uh, I had one more thing in the animation. Feel free. Which which is of the same vein, but it's specifically for scene transitions. Which is, uh, if you look in a few scenes, I think they're basically scenes in which Bob is kind of viewing the world. Um, the objects, the objects in the room that he's looking at, will kind of shift slightly and like resize themselves like as though you're focusing a camera and Hmm. sort of dance on the background (laughs) that's really cool it's it's hard to describe what's going on but it's it was very apparent when i was like when switch scenes and it's like everything's coming into focus all the objects are dancing on this background of madness 
you know, plaid bed sheets. It's it's like really crazy. It, it's like when you turn off lights and your eyes take a second to adjust. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. but it's instead it's they're both light, but it's a different kind of light. It's hard to even think about that sentence. Go on to move. <laughs> go on to music. Uh, well, there's not actually that much music. It's mostly like there's these dull throbbing sounds that you kind of get used to. Mm. Um, sometimes they turn up a bit, uh, and you get that like hi hat sound, like like that moves things along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's this ringing sound that sounds like an alarm, like he's trying to wake up from something. Was there? I forgot about I, that. It was It was not always there, but um, during the scenes with the psychologists, I noticed him, like, he comes out of the room and he's like, okay, like, it, stressful in hallways kind of thing. That that was a big thing in, in Fight Club. Not specifically the music, but the, the analogy of being a different person to waking up and going to sleep. I yeah. wonder if they were trying to do something similar here. Yeah, but aside from that, it's like, there's, like, some minimalist, like, elevator music. There's not really anything, like, cinematic. The the one thing they do is always cue you in when you don't have to pay attention by giving you that twangy stuff, which I'm sure I'm going <laughs> to cut a bit in. Yeah. Like, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's like in the I first do. scene with the aphids. And, they're, and it, yeah. like, does it almost every time when the when, when yeah. Barrett shows up at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. This is... What a... What this a what a, a film! This is a this is a fucking uh, this is a maze. This is a, <laughs> this is a woolly a woolly mammoth ass story. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah that, uh, you you can't describe it in words. We tried to. We gave you some highlights, but even though you know the ending, which I by the way, spoiler alert for the past two hours. I don't know if it works like that, but I'm gonna go ahead and check it off my list. <laughs> the the <laughs> what a generous fella I am. Even Why would we have a podcast where spoiler. we talk about the movie and not explain the plot of the movie? <laughs> Guys, this is a movie. It's really great. We're going to talk about it using pronouns Also, it's from 10 years ago. Like, That's true. People have seen it. Jeez, 10 years. 2006. It's surprising that people like it's surprising that this is not bigger. It came out around the same time as a couple other films, but the films were not that big of a deal. This was uh, not a was not a uh, was not a box office success, as I recall. Yeah, it, it was not the right time for this kind of movie. And you, when you think about it, the audience itself, the demographic for this is limited. I, th- I think it might be now with the surveillance state stuff. Um, it, they might appreciate it more. It might be more resonant with an audience from this time. And people who love RDJ. Yeah, no, he's only got stronger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true. Um, All right, well, what will we be watching next? I'm so sweaty. Yeah, oh my god. And I I don't know what source the sweat came from. From within. Of course. (laughs) So next time, we're going to give you all and ourselves a breather from thinking too hard. We're going to watch Tenchi Muyo. Yes. Because we haven't done anime in a while, and we I knew we'd need the breather in thinking. So we're going to talk I about I feel like we're going to need we're gonna need a couple breathers. So, oh? Um, well, I hope you gave us something that so will help I, us out. Um, I was telling you about a, a friend of mine who is, uh, he, he has his own podcast. Yes. Yes, uh, you did. Called Great Question, and he does uh, tarot card readings, and it's something that I've started looking into. Wait a second. Um, Wait a second. Are you gonna do something? What I, 
You're going to fucking do that, aren't you? No, no, I'm not doing card captures. Okay, whew. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You scared me, Zane. I'm sorry. No, uh, and I asked him, you know, are there any shows that, animated, you know, cartoons that you've watched that uh, really stuck out to you and stayed with you over the years? And so we'll be watching one that he picked. It is Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Ooh, okay. Well, we get to, we get to, get to uh, do a second part of, help me out, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> How? So we had, uh, you know, we're, we're revamping our Harvey Birdman sort of style. We're going to go back to uh, taking Hanna-Barbera and just, you know, defecating on his corpse. And, and, and this was sort of the first incarnation of that trend. Mm-hmm. I think my—I haven't seen Space Goes to Coast to Coast. My guess is that I will have liked Harvey Birdman better. But I've we'll seen see. a couple episodes. I would definitely agree. But um, I think you know they have. Um, I know that they have live action sequences and <laughs> uh, pop culture references, and I want to see how poorly that's aged. <laughs> <laughs> I just want. I just hope Brack shows up. Oh, I'm sure he will. <laughs> um, so that is something that we can uh, look forward to, and I'll uh, I'll uh, get talk to him and figure out when we can record that. Yep, yep. Uh, we we keep getting older, but these cartoons keep keep staying the same age. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> and um, with um, that... and and either before or after that episode, we uh, we're gonna have uh, the Cartoni Awards. Are we? Is it that soon? Um. Maybe not. It's it like comes, in a month. It comes sooner every year, man. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so first ever Cartoni Awards. And we'll plug it all now. Uh, if you have a suggestion for something that we can rank, something that we can have an award for, such as biggest mindfuck of a bootlegged segment, or... Uh, <laughs> that know, time in Fievel Goes West when uh, Katar yeah. Wall fell in love with Tanya. Uh, that's clearly, still going to be my favorite. Winner. Um, yeah. Yeah, if you have anything like that, uh, go ahead and tell us on our page, our webpage, www.cartoncast.com, or tell us about it on the Facebook page. Which, by the way, I didn't say so, but we do has a message uh, oh, for this great. one. Uh, yeah, we have a comment. It was actually to my personal Facebook page, and I'm going to take it on faith that he meant for it to be read on <laughs> on on Mike. So I'm gonna hope. I'm gonna I'm gonna hope that's okay. Uh, Aki, uh, my friend from one of my friends from college says Aku? no. Aki, uh, Aki says uh, oh, this about a scanner darkly. I remember it being very strange, <laughs> <laughs> and the ending seemed like a random ass pull that seemed to come out of nowhere. I uh, I don't intrinsically disagree with you, Aki. It is definitely not out of nowhere because philip k dick also had this scene in the movie it is and presumably experienced it all himself yeah yep yep uh, by the way i think i said earlier that he experienced all his books the hallucinations was it was just specifically to this movie i looked it up okay all the hallucinations in this movie he physically saw at some point but yeah the the ending really does hit you like a sucker punch and uh Although I don't consider it an ass pull, I thought it was actually very relevant. I can see people being really thrown off by how it how it just hit you full force out of nowhere. It seems it seems yeah, like not, they sort of forgot about the surveillance thing for a while and then just picked it back up at the end. 
it it did seem arbitrary, but I can definitely appreciate it now the the long con that they were running. Man, what a good long con. They don't even tell you that it's a con at first. Like you can kind <laughs> of figure out that it's a con, but they don't tell and, you it. And then it's three cons. Yeah, and it turns out it's three cons, <laughs> and they're all on you, and one of them is on a different con. It's nuts. Uh, well, thank you for that comment. Yeah, thanks, um, Aki. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Uh, I appreciated muchly. it muchly. <laughs> it's real good. Yeah, we both got there at the same time. Oh, we got to so, finish up in forty-five seconds, Zane. It's going to reach two hours on our <laughs> on our recording. So until next time. Um, Please keep your scanners clear for your sake and for Big Brother's sake. And remember not to act like a cat without whiskers perpetually behind a refrigerator.